spirit leading this realm There's a God up in heaven, there's a devil in hell There's a mother, she's crying, cause her babies are dying And the father in jail, with a son by his side But our father, he loves us, unlike any of us Gave his only beloved, 316 on the cross I know where you're going, if you live in that light Don't be perfect among us, but in the dark we are light Spreading the news If you live in a lie You ain't gonna die with the truth This is Matt and Mom Live It's real, it's raw, it's relevant The show is about the topical, the conversational But most importantly, the purposeful We hope to develop and distribute hope to the broken We pray that this show blesses you today Alright, we're back at it again It's Matt and Mom Live It's real, it's raw, it's relevant We are here again just Going over some of the past episodes and realizing where we left off and where we want to go today. Uh, but first of all, we want to take a second to thank all of you out there who tune in to this podcast. We thank you wherever you are and we appreciate you sharing this. It is our desire to develop and distribute hope right here and that it goes out and is relevant, like one of the words in our in our title is relevant to what you're experiencing. We hope that what we've been through can be turned into lessons, examples, analogies, and hopefully wisdom to where you're at. So where we've been, uh, going over a lot of God's favor in my life, this is Matthew Mayer, and his sovereign hand and how many times he's not only come through, but he's exceeded our expectations, uh, whether it's job opportunities whether it has been um, people that I met while I was away, different things that he's worked out for the good. And according to the scripture is a one that a lot of people claim and hold on to. But there is a prerequisite that goes with that scripture, Romans 8.28. We know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. So you have to love God. And even when circumstances don't look good, you still have to trust that God is good. And you may not see it working out initially, but it will work out eventually. And I've learned that God's not going to remove your circumstances, your trial, your tribulation, your adversity until the very trouble is removed from you. So a lot of times there's a lot of tension on the inside of us or anxiety or doubt. And God will keep those things there in place until we work out our own salvation on the inside. And the more that we work it out, the more that we see those circumstances were exactly what we needed to have it worked out. So... With that being said, I don't believe I would be in the position I am today, um, whether it's vocationally, whether it's spiritually, without that imprisonment time, without that four years and seven months in isolation. I believe that was a time where God was testing me, trying me, refining me, and eventually it was for a very reason like today, being in charge of a student ministry in Ocean City. Uh, basically the youth pastor responsibilities and being a speaker on the circuit funded by State Farm and writing for the Cape May County Herald as a columnist. Um, what are we missing? Uh, you're doing all that God implanted in you in prison, which is such a cool thing because you are using your gifts in the secular realm, teaching uh, some core values with public school students, and you're even given the desires of your heart, and that is being able to teach and to uh, preach the word, 
which, by the way, you just did a sermon called Christ is Influence, and we put that online. Well, we didn't put it online. The church did. And then I had it up, too, on my Facebook page. And you had a comment from somebody that I think is interesting that uh, wrote into you basically saying they took issue with your example of the shepherd carrying the sheep after he breaks its legs for continually being obstinate, saying God would never do that, that that is a myth, number one. Yeah, saying it was a myth, number one. We loved your sermon, but how could you say that? God deals with us in such a harsh manner. He's not an abusive father. Um, And basically we find out that he is part of a, it's called hyper grace, and everything is about the New Testament, the New Covenant, all the old way of dealing with things, the Old Testament is done with. God doesn't work that way anymore. And, um, you know, a lot of times, and I did research it, it, there's many sides to does a shepherd really deal with a sheep that way? Some say they did. In ancient times, they did. Some say there's no way a shepherd would do that. And, you know, right away, you got to, like you said, take it into the practical. I mean, what a father, what, not even a good father, what a father who sees a son about to touch a stove, would he smack the child's hand if he continues at it? Well, yes. Why? He allows minor harm or inflicts minor harm to prevent major harm. So that is love. I love the child so much. So I researched it after this email, and I did find that there was enough evidence saying that a shepherd would do that. And then I also found that the the myth advocates saying there's no way how could we lie and say that's what god would do and there's a parable they don't actually only mention it's a parable they say there's a story and they they basically talk about the shepherd leaving the 99 to go get the one and that's what a real good shepherd would do and you're like okay first of all it was a parable which means jesus said this is exactly what i've come to do i'll leave the 99 that are good and secure and i'll go get the one the one that went astray so there's his love right but let me just tell you this. First of all, a parable is a story that a truth is thrown alongside of it to get people to understand that Jesus was willing to go to such great lengths to get the single isolated sheep. Now, what made that sheep go astray, we don't know. It could be a million things, but if you want to equate it into human life, well, it could have been the addict. It could have been the prodigal son. It could have been the inmate. It could have been... The rebel. It could have been a million things, but let me just tell you this. That stray sheep is not going to come back willingly. He's not just going to oh, I'm sorry. I went astray. Let me just come back again. No, it would have taken some type of discipline from the shepherd to get that sheep to come back. And then there's a rejoicing. And I can count off example after example of guys that I met in prison. They weren't coming back into any type of fold easily. I mean, we just talked about um, a young man that came down and visited, Tommy Frederick, uh, Little John Palladino, a gangster. These guys had to be broken. They had to be dealt with. There was discipline involved. There was consequences. And then they felt that love of the shepherd. So uh, in response to this individual's um, opinion. Thoughtful opinion. Right, about God doesn't deal with us that anyway. We, I mean, the biggest story in, in the Bible is how God inflicted pain, agony upon Jesus to accomplish his purpose. It says he went to such great lengths to deal with Jesus. The Bible says in Isaiah, 
It pleased the father, pleased him, to bruise his son, to deal with his son, to essentially break his son. And we say, well, yeah, Jesus took the brokenness so we don't have to. No, but there's a model there that God will do whatever it takes to bring me back to his love, back to his mercy, back to his grace. And sometimes it does take discipline. So um, I, I think it's just dangerous to put our, our concept of grace to define the entire purpose of God when you can actually abuse grace to a point where you find yourself outside of his economy and you think that because he's of grace that he'll always bring you back. Well, that's interesting. And, and the problem with that is that we are prone to wander <laughs> by our natures. Right. And so, again, I go back to just practical application of being a parent. You know, I can't give my kids everything they want because they're kids and they don't know. And they're sheep and they're dumb when they're little. Therefore, you need to guide and direct. And a loving parent is going to be a parent who is balanced. You're going to have uh, righteous judgment and discipline along with love. Because if I gave you all love, then I would be deficit in what I was doing as a parent. And you would be deficit as an individual. So... Um, I just thought that was interesting. It just comes from, it's a philosophy of people that have never been broken. They have never been truly broken. They don't know what it feels like to be carried on the, sh- the shoulders of the shepherd. And when you know that feeling, you say, wow. You don't see it as, uh, that was painful. That was, the Bible says, pain all night, joy in the morning. And usually the joy in the morning supersedes the pain that you felt all night. And any mother will attest. She went through great pain to birth a child. As soon as the child is is delivered, that pain is replaced with joy. So yes, God will allow pain into lives to get them to a certain place so they can experience his joy forevermore. Mm-hmm. So, of course, I digress and say, I willingly, recklessly, unintentionally caused my tragedy. I was responsible for the death of a man named Hortcap. I own up to that with all of my heart. I've dealt with all of that. I've with remorse, sought forgiveness from everywhere I was supposed to. Now, when I look back, I say, did God do that? Why did God do that? No, I did it. Did God allow it? Did God control it? Did he see where I would be? Did he see where the Cap family would be? Did he see the, the end result of all this? Yes, he did. He sits on his throne in complete control. And he looks down upon us, and he wants us to see life from his perspective. So if we can learn to see life from his perspective, even in great tragedy, we can say, you know what? God is good even though the outcome of this particular situation isn't. And eventually, God will allow allow you to see that good come out. So it's just, you know, for those out there who think, man, either blew it so bad that God can't work it out. Um, You feel like you've fallen so far. Maybe you're dealing with a prodigal son and you feel like there's no hope and your prayers are just bouncing off of heaven and coming back down. Um, I'm just trying to tell you, God is willing to do whatever it takes to get you, to get your family, to get those people involved with your scenario bent toward him. He'll do whatever it takes to get your attention. And if it requires great pain, you better believe he's willing to do it. And that is great love. I can't see that as that's an abusive father. He wouldn't do that. Well, huh? I, I can't co-sign that. I really can't with all the Bible stories. I mean, but there's the hyper grace advocates when you go into the, New, the Old Testament and bring up 
Joseph and you bring up David and you bring up all these things, they're basically saying that's no longer applicable because it's the old covenant. So you got to find New Testament and we bring up Saul to Paul. I mean, Saul, he was going around persecuting Christians. Uh, one of the Bible verses says he was like a wild boar, a wild boar terrorizing the Christians of their day. And what happened was at a certain point, he came face to face. He had an encounter which dropped him off his horse, literally dropped him off his horse, and he met Jesus. And he hears Jesus say to him, why are you persecuting me? And, and his response could have been, I'm not persecuting you, I'm persecuting them. And then the idea was, though you persecuted them, it's as if you're persecuting me. And he met the grace of God right there. But guess what? He left blind. He couldn't see for several days after that. That experience, that dropped him from his horse and then essentially blind him physically so that he could see spiritually. And that's what God will do also. He will allow you to come uh, and hit a brick wall. The brick wall of his grace sometimes hurts. And then he lived happily ever after, right? Yes, he lived happily ever after as the grace. He's the, the grace advocate. No, no, seriously. They call Paul the champion of grace. Yet he was stoned. Yet he was beaten publicly. Yet he was put in prison. Yet his life was continually threatened. Um, I mean, whew, if that is what the grace component is all about, they fail to talk about those stories. Yeah, I was reading the other day where they said, <clears throat> excuse me, about... Uh, Paul, the Lord told Paul, Paul, don't worry, you're going to, you're going to be able to get out of this situation because I'm sending you somewhere else. And the way he got out was through the basket, through a roof being lowered down to the ground. And the writer of this particular devotion was like, you know, you'd think if God told you, don't worry, you're going here, he's going to provide some really awesome way for you to get there. Yeah. Not like being under some sort of um, terroristic night where you're being, you know, put in a basket and silently, hopefully not to be seen by whoever is looking for you. Sure. I mean, come on. The grace of God is to save a man's soul, to save his soul. So he would do whatever it takes to get that soul saved. Paul understood that. That's why he continually called himself, I am chief of sinners. I am a wretched man. Because he understood the grace of God wasn't to benefit him materially, vocationally, um, physically, the grace of God was to save him spiritually, emotionally. That's why he was able to say, I'm content, though I'm locked up. He says, I have had it all and I've had nothing. And I'm able to find balance in that. And if you do that with your hands, you put your hand up in the air high and you put the other hand low and you say, I find balance, you're going to have a cross. That's why he was able to ha have contentedness in such horrific experiences. And that is really what the grace of God is all about. Because you can't tell me that a guy on death row today who knows his day is coming, who's freer than most people that are out because he found the Lord Jesus in that isolation, that he's not experiencing the grace of God. He's going to die in prison. But the grace of God, according to many hyper-grace component um, advocates, would say, well, he would have not be in that situation in the first place. So it's like, sadly, oh man, it just... It's a shame that so many people are, are led astray, led astray by false doctrine. And that's what it is. You want to go into the Bible, I can find countless scriptures, mom, that say, be careful. People will tell you things that sound nice. They'll tickle your ears, but they are not my will. They're not my doctrine. 
And you have to be very careful what type of gospel you're listening to. Well, we were supposed to get to a topic for the last one of our anniversary shows. And uh, how much time we have left we'll on We'll get this? there. Okay, good. Well, we'll get, I'm going to get there today. I think this is an interesting topic. It is an interesting topic. We segued. As we said, we we never quite – we don't script this out. We pray before we start. I mean, we have an idea of what the topics we're going to get into. And uh, today, we we kind of uh, dwelt on a topic that, you know, I think needs clarification for people. Because then if I think everything should be, you know, peachy keen for me and things happen in my life – and I, I don't think that that's of God because I'm under some sort of a doctrine that I should have health, wealth, and prosperity. That could really um, diminish somebody's faith who's a new Christian. You know, if they've, they've bought into something that's a sales pitch. Sure, it gives God a bad rap because if something doesn't go the way you think it should according to grace, then you say, why would God allow this? And then you get mad at God. So it's basically... Believing in something at God's expense, at God's character's expense. And again, I keep going back. Every, the central truth of the Bible is the cross. The entire Old Testament is a build-up to that sacrifice, to that atonement, to that dispensation. That word is God's economy, how he was bringing about things to bring Jesus into this world, to eventually slay him and raise him, but save the world through it. So everything is, a, is climatic until that particular situation. And if you think about what God was willing to do to prove it, to prove his love, I mean, he, I can't stress this enough if you're listening, God will do whatever it takes to get your attention. He will allow things to happen that you can't understand that may be extremely painful. They may hurt, but he's trying to bring healing into that hurt. So sometimes you have to hit a brick wall, mom. Sometimes you have to have that carpet pulled out from under you. And that is more of God's grace than I can even explain. Those things that happen, that's God's grace. Paul said but this, I'm not going to sit here and just believe that things are going to work out. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Okay, by God's grace, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain, which means the grace that he gave me, I'm not just going to waste. I'm not going to abuse it. This is where we, we forget this part. But I, he says, I labored more abundantly than they all. Than who? He's talking about his contemporaries. He's talking about the other apostles, the other disciples, the other followers of Jesus. I'm laboring more abundantly than they all. He says, you would say, well, that's arrogant. No, but then he, there's a comment there that says, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. So there you have a beautiful blend between the partnership that we're supposed to have with God's grace, which is, I, mom, I had to wake up every day at 5 a.m. while I was in prison. Every day. I labored more abundantly than all my peers. I had to write the books. I wrote all the manuscripts. I had to study God's word. But then when you step back and say, I did all those things, yet it wasn't me at all. It was God's grace. So you cannot just sit back in your recliner and expect all these things to work out because that's how God works. He wants to lavish his children with good gifts. No. Paul says, no, you better get up and get going. You better write that manuscript. Paul had to write half the the New Testament. He didn't just sit there in in a jail cell and say, well... God's grace is going to get me to Rome. That's what he said. No, man, he sat there. He labored towards the manuscripts that we read today. The manuscripts that sadly are misinterpreted. And the very birth of the grace, the hyper grace movement, stems from a lot of Paul's writings. 
But you cannot just take one verse and apply it to an entire people. You got to take an entire word of God and apply it to the people. So I, you know, I had so much conversation with different people while I was away, and even while I'm out, about the idea behind um, grace. And I think that experiencing the unmerited favor that I have, I've understood it a little bit more because it was it was through very trying circumstances. Like, I don't deserve this to work out the way it's working out. But then realizing, but God allowed it, so I'm going to accept it, thanking all the way through it, but continue to have a mindset that realizes I don't deserve it. And then people would come alongside of me and say, man, you do deserve it. You're working harder than everybody else. You deserve all these things. And I would say, no, you don't get it. I'm saying I don't deserve it because I'm humbling myself. I know that I am a wretch like Paul. I'm, I'm a chief of sinners. I don't deserve it. However, I'm not going to neglect it, abuse it, ignore it. I'll accept it, and then I can tell other people about it. And the more that I've accepted his grace and, and explained it in a proper light, according to his word, according to the cross of Jesus Christ, according to the gospel, the good news, the more grace he's given me. And I dare not abuse it and go out on a limb and say, well, because um, God's grace, look at me now, I'm, I'm prospering. And, you know, because there's still a lot of strain in my life that God uses, which I take as his form of grace of humbling me. I, again, I, I think of Paul when he writes in Corinthians that he had this thorn in his flesh. Historians and Bible scholars, they say, well, the thorn was this, and according to the Old Testament, the thorn was a people. And then right here, it says a thorn was his eyesight because he, he struggled with his vision. It doesn't matter what it was. That's why God kept it vague. It's a thorn in his flesh. It was something that, that actually, he says, was a messenger from Satan himself to buffet him, which means to strike him. So if you think about that, God was allowing a, the devil, whoever it was, to strike Paul. And this thorn in his flesh that was nagging at him, every turn, he felt this. But God said, if you give it to me, I'll use it to humble you. And my grace will not only be sufficient, but when you declare that you are too weak to get through it by yourself, then my strength can show up. Hmm. So, Wait, let me tell you this. You probably know this, but the thorn, the actual Greek word for that, we think of a thorn. Like oh, yeah, it's a huge it's a stake. tent spike. A tent spike. <laughs> That's pretty big. Right. And so... It's not this little thing that's nagging him. It's something big. And it said he he pled with the Lord three times. He prayed like, "Remove it, Lord." And, and he pretty he had a pretty intimate and cool relationship with with Jesus, as you can imagine. Um, and that, I like that that the Lord allowed that to be put in there. You know, for those of us that think, you know, uh, name it depression, and, discouragement, you know, uh, yeah. maybe an addiction, maybe a, emotional distress, maybe a, a bad attitude. These are these are thorns in your flesh. And if you, let's see, if, if you use it as a crutch, you'll never be able to get over it. Mm -hmm. But if you take that crutch, that thorn, picture the analogy that mom just said, it's a giant tent stake. If you take that and you give it to God, though it's still nagging you, God then can reach down and show off his strength through your declaration of weakness. That's the point. That's the key. But if you take that same thorn and you try to fix it yourself, reform it yourself, um, you'll always end up in the same spot. That thorn will now define you. 
we got way off topic. Yep, we're going to have to pick up next show on some of the things we were supposed to do today. But we know that there, the Lord is in control, the Holy Spirit is in control of the show, that there's people out there that this message was specifically made for. Yes, we hope that um, we could have candidly hit on some issues that maybe you're thinking about or maybe you're curious about. Um, again, there's also ways to reach out to us if you have ever any topics that you would like to hear us discuss. I mean, you can go on to the Facebook page, whether my Facebook, Matthew Mayer 5511 is the username or Andrea Mayer. You can find us there and you can write underneath the podcast, uh, different questions or topics that you would like to hear us talk about. And we would love to, we're always looking for new, um, insights into what we can talk about in this 20, 25 minute segment. We do appreciate you tuning in. Please forgive me for doing all the talking. I cannot help myself once I get behind a microphone, but I am truly filled with so much that I would love to share. And in due time, we'll get to many of these issues, many of these topics. So we thank you again for tuning in reminding you that the clearest testimony you have isn't the one you share verbally for people to hear. It's the one you're living vividly. It's the one you're living visually for people to see. They need to see that you are the only Bible that they may ever read. And we close every show with Psalm 4610. It is such a powerful psalm reminding you to be still and know that God is in control even when things seem like they're out of control. Thank you. Y'all people ain't knowing He breathed in my lungs And spared me from Satan And now that I love Even my loved ones they hate Waiting patiently Pacing for me to fall on my face But I'm falling in faith Pardon me for his grace There's a battle out there Spiritly in this realm There's a God up in heaven There's a devil in hell There's a mother she's crying Cause her babies are dying And the father in jail with a son by his side But our father he love us Unlike any of us Gave his only beloved 316 on the cross I know where you're going If you live in that light No one perfect among us But in the dark we are light Thank you Jesus I love you Help me spread the good news If you live in a lie You ain't gonna die with the truth doing something different. Nah, don't you know they've been watching that block that you're on 
since before my time. Wow. So more makes you think that you're doing something different. You want to do something different? Put your faith in Christ. I've been there.